Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Good to see you all this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab it and open to uh, 2 Peter. comes right after 1 Peter, for those of you who are wondering. Well, the first joke didn't go well. All right. Just getting started. Hey, today uh, we are... Uh, I was planning on today being the day we finished 2 Peter. But we're talking about the end of the world. Uh, Ty, if you want to move that just a little bit angled so other people can see it also. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, I was planning on talking uh, about the end of the world here in 2 Peter chapter 3. And I, I figured, you know, hey, maybe that deserves more than just one sermon. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to break it up. Uh, and then next week, we're going to finish 2 Peter. And then after 2 Peter, uh, I'm going to go into kind of a more practical kind of series where we're talking about relationships. At Ascent, we like to preach through books of the Bible normally. Uh, but then sometimes I like to kind of take a step back and, and topically talk about, hey, w- what, what would be helpful for us uh, as we live this life? So we're going to talk about relationships. Uh, and then we're going to, as we go into September, we're going to start a series called Address the Mess uh, because some of our lives are just a mess. And uh, as we come into the fall, it's a good time for us to do a fall cleaning of our lives and everything that uh, comes along with that. So we're going to talk about that series uh, as well, just so you guys know where we're going. Now, today I'm really excited because we have family meal, which is my favorite thing we do at Ascent. Because all we do at a family meal is we eat. Uh, and eating is one of my spiritual gifts, I believe. I love eating. Uh, amen. Uh, I mean, you guys are kind of down today. Did you, have, did you guys sleep well t- last night? Goodness gracious. Uh, we're having backyard barbecue is the theme, uh, and we meet at the event center right after the service, about 15, 20 minutes, so you can run to Walmart and pretend like you made dessert uh, and bring it if you want to. And if you don't want to even pretend, that's fine. You can just come eat with us. That's what I plan on doing. If it wasn't for my wife, I'd probably never bring anything because uh, I can't cook. Uh, and then at the end of family meal, it's actually the environment in which we take communion as a church family. Uh, so we share a meal together just as the early church did, and then we take communion. And we'd love to have you there uh, if you're a part of our church family. But even if you're not, it's, it's open to everybody. And again, that'll be at the event center about 15, 20 minutes after the service. We'd love to see you there. Now, one more announcement uh, that they tell me I have to make, and that is that we are starting small groups uh, in the next couple of weeks. So if you're interested in leading a group, I'd love for you to lead a group. We have two types of groups here at Ascent. Uh, we have organic groups, which are groups that you just start. Like, you don't have to ask my permission to start the groups. Uh, it's just like, hey, I got a couple of guys that I want to do Bible study with or a couple of girls I want to do Bible study with, and I say, go do it. Grab some material, get some people, and grow together. I have about three or four groups that I'm in that are just like that. Like, there's not necessarily a structure to it. It's just I want to do Bible study with some guys. Uh, and then we also have what I would call intentional groups. And this is really kind of the first season in which we're doing that, which is um, we're going to start groups that Ascent is kind of structuring. I'm going to be a part of leading those groups. Uh, and it's open to everybody, men and women. Uh, and this year we're going to do a nine-week kind of – this season rather. We're going to do a nine-week study uh, kind of covering the basics of the faith. We're going to have one group in my house and one group in another place. And so if you'd be interested in joining that, I've only got about 20 spots available. Uh, go ahead and put it on your Connect card, which is by you. Hey, I want to be in that, that group on the, the basics of the Christian faith. Uh, and I can tell you what my group's going to consist of. We're going to, we're going to talk about the Bible, and we're also going to eat really good food. And uh, Because, again, I love food, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, and so we would love to have you uh, at Taylor and I's brand new house. We finally moved into it. I got all the pictures hung yesterday. That's where you guys should clap. Yay! Yes. 
I didn't actually hang them. I'm lying. My, my dad came and hung them for us because I, I, I can't work a hammer. Uh, but the pictures are hung, which makes my wife happy. Now, that has nothing to do with the sermon. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to jump into Second Peter. We're going to talk about the end of the world. Father God, as we come before you, I do echo Kelly's prayer. Uh, God, I pray that the words that I say that are not from you would blow away like the chaff in the wind. God, I pray that anything that I say that is true, uh, God, that does come from your word, I pray that you would highlight it in the minds and the hearts of my hearers. God, I pray that as I do my best to preach your word, I pray that my listeners would do their best to hear your word. God, I know we have a lot of distractions. We're tired. We've had weeks where things happen we weren't expecting. And we have a week coming up where it's easy for our mind to drift towards thinking about what we got to get done. But Lord, for the next 40 minutes, next 30 minutes, God, I pray that we could just push all of that out and focus on you and you alone. Lord, that in this place, it would be all about you. And Lord, as we focus on your goodness and your greatness, our problems would seem a lot smaller as we leave this place. Lord, I pray for minds that are actively listening. I pray for hearts that are ready to be transformed. And Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that we would have hands to do the work you've called us to. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we talked about hell, um, which was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that sermon. Not really. Uh, I would never talk about hell if it wasn't in the Bible, but there it was. We talked about it. And we talked about how a lot of people have this perception of hell that's not really based upon the Bible. It's based more upon culture and what culture says it is. And kind of the, the main point last week was that God actually isn't the one who rejects us. We reject him. But a lot of us have this picture of God like, hey, God, here's the best I can do. I hope it's good enough. And God says, no, actually, here's my son, Jesus. He, he creates a way for you to come to me. There, there's mercy. There's grace through him. And he is the gift to the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. So that who shall ever believe could have eternal life. That's God's gift to us. And what we do is we say, I don't really think I want that gift. And we kind of reject the gift of God. And, and so hell, in a sense, is a choice. And today as we look at uh, the, the second coming of Jesus, I, I kind of want to continue along that theme of sometimes we think more about uh, Bible theology things in terms of what culture tells us rather than what the Bible actually says. And I think this is probably more true at the second coming than probably any other doctrine. There are just so many people who have so many ideas about what it means when Jesus comes back. Uh, if you've ever watched the, the Left Behind movie series, uh, you, you probably have one sort of idea. If you ever listen to crazy people on the radio who like tell you when the world's going to end and they do all the mathematics and they tell you, hey, I know it's going to end on this date, you have a completely other view of the end of the world and it's wrong, uh, but that's okay. You could be wrong if that's what you want to do. Uh, and a lot of people will go there and then what happens to most of us is we see the crazy guy who's doing the math and we see the Left Behind series and we're like, we don't really understand how that would practically work out and so what we do is we just ignore it. Like, I don't know, it's just weird. I would just rather focus on other things that are not so weird. But I think that's a huge mistake for us if we do that, friends. Because the second coming of Jesus actually should have a lot of power in our lives. And today what I want to do is I just want to look at three verses, uh, four verses, verses 10 through 13. And we're going to look at the nature of the second coming. Like, what's actually going to happen? Now, Peter doesn't spend a lot of time on that because in his culture, the people automatically understand some things that we don't understand. And that's the thing we have to understand is that uh, we are looking at a text that was written 2,000 years ago in a different culture, in a different context. And so sometimes words have different meanings because of when we live. I'll give you an example. Uh, tech team, if you could put that on the screen, the picture I have. Okay, so let's pretend I'm a prophet. 
uh, Prophet Blake, and I'm standing up here and I'm telling you something. And I say this. I say, this February, the Cowboys from Dallas will take on the Patriots from New England in the Super Bowl. It will go down as one of the fiercest battles in history. Now, for one, you would think this guy's crazy because Dallas Cowboys are never going to the Super Bowl. And <laughs> Patriots can't do it without Tom Brady. I'm sorry. He's just the best ever. Um, already offending people. Now, you guys all know what I mean when I say this. When I say the Cowboys, you know I'm talking about a football team. And when I say the Patriots, you know I'm talking about a football team. And when I say Super Bowl, you know I'm talking about a game that happens every February between two football teams. And you know that when I say battle, I'm not literally talking about people shooting each other. I'm talking about a football game, a battle, where they slug it out to the very end. But if I was given the same prophecy in the year 1800, before the NFL was even a a twinkle in people's eyes, people would think a very different thing was going on if I was a prophet and I said this. For instance, they would probably think cowboys and patriots were the literal cowboys and the literal patriots who had just fought for the independence of the world. Or the the world. Independence of America. Sometimes we think it's the world, right? Uh, So the cowboys and patriots, and then that Super Bowl part would freak people out. They'd be like, what is it, like a big cereal bowl? Is there a big bowl somewhere we don't know about? You know, we'd start scouting out, looking for big canyons or some kind of bowl that there's going to be this battle that takes place in. And when you see the fiercest battle part, the Patriots would be like, well, we kind of like the Cowboys. And the Cowboys would be like, we kind of like the Patriots, but I guess it's about to go down. And see, just because we are in a different context and a different culture, we can take these words completely differently. And if we do that, guess what happens? Our actions are different. Like if I tell you this today, what are you going to do? You're going to go to Las Vegas, you're going to start placing some bets because you're about to make a lot of money. You know who's going to be in the Super Bowl next year, and nobody's predicting the Cowboys and the Patriots. Now, if you're in the year 1800, you're going to do something completely different. You're going to begin scouting out, looking for a bowl. You're going to begin preparing for battle. You're going to be looking at the Patriots. The Patriots are going to be looking at the Cowboys, trying to find their weaknesses for this fight that's about to go down. And the reason I bring up this illustration is because this is how... A lot of us read the Bible. This is why we miss a lot of things. That there are contexts and culture that we miss that Peter expects his readers to understand. So as we jump in, I just want to go through it verse by verse, line by line. And I want to talk about what the nature of the second coming is. And I'm going to try to explain some of these things that you know, we, we might see wrongly. Okay, verse 10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. I want to pause there. Uh, the second coming is often called the day of the Lord. Uh, it's Judgment Day, uh, it's Second Coming. There's a lot of different things you can call it. Uh, uh, inside joke over there, they're laughing at me. Uh, the, the Day of the Lord, though, is like if, if we take it down to what it actually is, and this is why Jesus talked about it more than anybody else in the Bible, is the Day of the Lord is just like when those of us have a day that's for us. It's the day where God gets what he wants. And I think we all understand this. Like, you know, when you're a kid, it was your birthday, parents said, it's your day. Wherever you want it. You want to go eat Mexican food? You want to go eat at the buffet? Whatever it is, it's your day. We're going to do whatever you want to do today because it's your day. Uh, or like for me, I was thinking about my wedding. My wedding was not my wedding. It was Taylor's wedding that I got to be a part of. Uh, it was Taylor's day. Whatever Taylor wanted, that's what we were going to do. I was going to take 7,000 pictures. I took more pictures on that day than I have the rest of my life combined. Never want to take that many pictures again. But why did I do it? Because it was her day. It's her special day. And so whatever she wanted, she got. And we look at the Bible and it says the day of the Lord. That means it's God's day. That this is the day in which Jesus' reign fully is over the earth. And whatever Jesus wants, he gets. The way things are supposed to be, according to Jesus, are the way things are going to be. 
And anything outside of what he wants is not going to be there. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day Jesus gets everything he wants. Now, the second part of verse 10 says this. It says, we'll come like a thief. You know, don't you wish thieves would give you a warning before they stole your stuff? Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, that'd be really helpful. But if a thief called you, hey, man, I'm going to rob you tomorrow at 5 o'clock. That'd be great. But they'd be a really bad thief. Because thieves, uh, they, they're able to do what they do based upon the fact that you don't know what's coming. And for a lot of us, uh, a lot of people in this world, they think that this verse means uh, not that they can't figure out when Jesus is coming, but that they just got to do math a little bit harder to figure out when he's coming. And it's why every time I hear somebody with a prediction of when, when the end of the world is, I kind of just laugh at them. Even when people say, I think the end is near. I'm like, yeah, it's been near for like 2,000 years. Uh, and Peter talks about this. We'll talk, look at it next week. But he talks about how to the Lord, to God, he views time differently than we do. One day to him is like 1,000 years. So what seems slow to us, to God, standing outside of time, is not slow at all. It comes like a thief. It's unpredictable. It's unexpected. All right. On that day, this is where it gets kind of freaky. Okay. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. That sounds bad. <laughs> like the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. And here is one of those words where we don't have the proper context for, and it's why it sounds weird to us. Uh, the heavens does not mean like the place where all the angels and God is, which is what a lot of us think. When we think of the way the world is set up, we often think of heaven as like being a place up here, hell being a place down here, and then the earth is here. But the word Peter's using here is, is more like the kind of idea of the spiritual realm as a whole. The heavens, which would be where the, the spiritual beings are. So we think about the Bible, it's actually quite freaky how it uh, talks about the spiritual beings. It's not like they're somewhere and then we're somewhere else. It's more like there's a whole other world going on around us that we can't fully see with our physical eyes. Like there could be demons fighting in this room right now and we wouldn't know. It's kind of a freaky idea when you think about it. That there's this whole other realm going on. And what happens is when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, he defeated, he disarmed the powers of evil. The demons and the devil, they have no power over you if you are a Christian, if you believe in the gospel. Jesus has authority over them. But right now, there is still spiritual work going on in the world right now that is dark. And just like Jesus is the incarnate or the embodied goodness, Satan is the incarnate or embodied evil in the world. And there is evil working and there is good working. And you don't even have to be a Christian to know that. Like you might use different words, but it's pretty obvious that there's good people working for things. And then there's bad people who are trying to ruin the world. That There's people like Hitler and then there's people who go against Hitler. This is, this is what Peter is saying is happening in the spiritual. And so when it says the heavens will pass away, what it means is, is when Jesus comes back at the second coming, he will ultimately and totally destroy all the evil forces in the world. This is really good news. And it says it will pass away. Now, that doesn't mean that it's gone. That doesn't mean that the heavens are no longer there. There will still be this spiritual realm. What it means is, is it will be completely different and new. This is the same word, that pass away word. It's the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in 2 Corinthians when he talks about us as believers. When he says the old has passed away and the new is here. See, and as we think about it as Christians, when, I, when I'm baptized, it's representing my death to my old self and I'm raising to my new self. Now, I'm not literally a new person. Blake is still there. But on the inside, the parts of me that were uh, fighting for my own will and my own desires, those parts are dead. I now live for Jesus as my master. In the same way, the heavens will be different in that moment. And that's really good news. You guys don't look happy, but it's going to be awesome when the devil is finally and totally defeated. All right. Keep reading on. It says this. It says, the elements 
will burn and be dissolved. That's another scary verse. The elements will burn and be dissolved. I don't even know what that means, but I don't think I like it, Peter. What are you talking about? And, and again, this is another one of the things where we get cultural context wrong. This is really interesting. If you read uh, commentaries about this verse after 1869, what you're going to find is when they say elements, they're saying Peter literally means that the atoms, the structures of the earth are going to burn. The whole thing's going to go away. But if you read commentaries before 1869, that's never what they say. Here's something that happened in 1869. You ready for it? The periodic table, which was the bane of my existence in the seventh grade when I was trying to learn this thing. It took me three years to finish seventh grade because of that thing. Just kidding. Uh, but, but see, that, that's how we take our context and our culture and we put it on it. And it creates this whole other view of what the, the second judgment is like. There, there's really two views. There's more than that. But there's two views of what's going to happen on judgment day. Uh, and, and I think it's probably... Uh, best if I put it in terms of, of how a Terminator kills bugs. Uh, just stick with me for a minute. Uh, I, I saw this this kind of meme on, on Facebook one time where this lady like opened her attic and there were spiders all in the attic, uh, which would freak me out. My favorite spider is a dead spider. Uh, if you like spiders, I'm sorry. I don't like them in my house. And uh, it was funny because then the next picture was her burning her whole house down. Like, her, her way to deal with the spiders was to burn everything. The whole house was gone. And that's how some people view the end times. They, they think God's going to come back and he's going to destroy everything. He's just going to blow this whole thing out. We'll, we'll be taken out of this place into a new place. But as we read the words of Jesus, he, he's, he says so many things that tell us that that's actually probably not the way it's going to be. In fact, he says when he's praying to the Father for us, he, he prays, I'm not praying that you would take them out of this world, but I'm praying that you'd be with them in this world. The Lord's prayer is, may my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, let's get these people out to heaven, which is what a lot of people think. See, the, the view of the judgment of God in the second coming is more like a Terminator who comes in and he kills all the bad things. Kills all the bugs. Kills all the things you don't want in your house and restores what is already there. This is exactly what God has done every other time he's judged the world. In the flood, he didn't create a brand new world. He, he destroyed what was ungodly. He destroyed what was wicked. He destroyed what was already there. And that's honestly what the word element means if you look at it. When it says the elements will be dissolved, it's talking more like elementary. The things that were already there. The old things will be gone. All of the stuff that is not in accordance with, again, what is the day of the Lord? What Jesus wants. The things that are not in accordance with what Jesus wants will be dissolved. The old will be gone, and the new will be here. Now, as we keep reading on, it says this about the earth. It says, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Which is really quite a terrifying verse, if you think about it. Uh, it goes back to what Jesus says throughout the Gospels, which is, everything is going to be brought out into the light. That that which is hidden will one day be known. And on that day, God will see everything. Everything will be exposed for what it truly is. On that day, your motives will be exposed. Right? Like right now, I see you at a food bank, and I don't know what your motives are. I have no idea if you're doing it because you believe Jesus has come and provided for you in your poverty. And so out of an overflow of worship, you're feeding the poor. Or if you're doing it for an Instagram picture so that people can look at you and say, what a great person. I have no idea from where I stand. Only you know that right now, but at the end... Everything will be disclosed. And you see, it's, it's really interesting because the Bible talks about how our works right now in the kingdom of God as we move things forward as the church. It's, it's not all for nothing. 
See, if you take the view that when God comes back, he destroys everything, then you kind of almost have an atheistic view, which is to say nothing really matters because in the end, everything's going to be destroyed. Like, it doesn't really matter what I do on this side of the earth. I heard a pastor uh, talk about this one time, and it just it didn't sit right with me. He's talking about how you know he didn't care about littering, and he didn't care about the earth because God's going to burn the whole thing up one day anyways. And I thought, man, that just that doesn't sit right with me. And see, I don't believe that's right. I believe God has left us here to work and to move forward his kingdom right now. And that the things we do that are for the kingdom of God, the things we invest in that are for eternity will stand. Which kind of leads us to a scary question, which is if everything that is not what God wants is going to be dissolved, how much of your work is going to be left? How much of your activity is going to be left? How much of you is going to be left? If all that is dissolved, that is not in accordance with what God wants, is no longer here, and all that's left is what survives the fire, which is when Peter says the word fire, we already learned in 1 Peter, he's talking about putting gold into fire so all the dross is burned away, and all you're left with is what the pure metal is. When all of that is burned away, what is left of your work? You see, it it breaks my heart when I see people working for things that have no impact for eternity. It breaks my heart when I see somebody working really hard to climb up the the corporate ladder and they neglect their kids, they neglect their family, they neglect the mission of God. And for what? When they die, somebody else is going to replace them in what they already do. See, I don't want to replace being a husband to Taylor for being the pastor of a sin. I love you guys, I really do. But but one day somebody else is going to come and take this job. Anybody can do what I do, which is kind of sad, uh, but anybody can do what you do also. And, and you're foolish if you think you're the only one that can do what you do. Because one day somebody's going to do it better than you do, probably. But I'm the only one that's allowed to be Taylor's husband. <laughs> Otherwise, it's called polygamy and the Bible's kind of against that. And I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to say, hey, God, look, I, I built this church. I worked really hard to put my name on everything, so people would think I was great and Ascent was great, but, but my wife, she didn't flourish in my home. My kids didn't even know me. I, I don't want that because those things won't matter. And the same is true with your money. How much of your money, what you spend your money on, what you invest your money on, will be gone in the second coming of Jesus and how much of it will last? Here's what I can tell you about your money. Whenever you invest in people and what God is doing in the lives of people, that will always last. But when I invest in things and what I want and the things of this world, the nice house, everything that is of that will eventually rot and decay. Like, I don't care how nice your boat is or how nice your cool car is. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it's lost $10,000 of value and it's going to keep losing value. And one day your kids are going to sell it in a garage sale. That's what happens to our stuff. But when I invest in another human being, when I invest in people... That carries on into eternity. Like I can't wait for the second coming when we, when we all rise again. And I get to go shake the hand of somebody who invested in First Baptist Woodward long before I was ever alive. And I get to tell them, hey, thank you. Because of your investment in First Baptist Woodward, I was able to find Jesus Christ. I'm here because of $5 you gave that you had no idea what that $5 would do. But it kept the church going so that one day a kid named Blake Farley could come to Awana's. And I only kind of halfway pay attention. <laughs> but find Jesus and find the foundation that he has. Friends, I wonder if you're investing in things that are actually going to do that. Or are you investing in things that are going to rot and decay eventually? 
It's just something to think about. All right. Verse 11. So how do we live in light of this? You guys doing all right? All right. Cool. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be. And it really is clear. Like if you think about it in this term, everything that's bad is going to be dissolved. It's pretty clear what we should do. What should we do? You should be in holy conduct. In other words, you you should conduct yourselves the way God would want you to conduct yourselves. Set apart, different from the world. Uh, If you look like the world in everything you do, like if you work the same way everybody who's not a Christian works, if you treat people the same way people who are not Christians treat people, then perhaps you're missing the point of what God has called you to do. Because holy is set apart. We should look so different that the world feels strange about us. We should look so different that sometimes the world looks at us and they're like, you know what? I do not believe what those nuts believe, but I'm sure glad they're here. <laughs> like, I, I don't believe at all what that kid believes, but I wouldn't mind if he dated my daughter. Because there's something different about him. There's something special about him. He, he respects people for who they are as if they were made in the image of God. This is how we ought to live with holy conduct. The second thing it says there is that we should uh, conduct ourselves with godliness. We should live as God would want us to live. We should live like Jesus would live if he were us. And then verse 12 says this. It says, as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming or speed up its coming. Now, when I was a kid, that verse scared me. I was like, whoever's speeding it up, can they slow it down? Because uh, when I was a kid, I, I thought that heaven and the second coming was, you know, God's going to take us out of this earth and we're going to be in a church service forever. Um, you know, like we're going to be singing hymns all the time. I love a hymn every once in a while, but for the rest of eternity, I got to sing hymns, really. And, you know, just to be really bluntly honest, I was like, hey, I've never even kissed a girl yet. You know, can I, can I, can I have a girlfriend first before Jesus comes back? So those of you guys who are speeding it up, let's slow this thing down so that I can have a girlfriend, which is a, a, a really bad theology of the second coming. I, I remember a pastor one time, he's talking about it. And he said, you know, I, I have these kids in, in my, uh, my marriage counseling, premarital counseling, and uh, they're kids who you know have honored God and they, they've saved themselves for marriage. And, and before marriage, they're like, oh, Lord, please wait for the coming. Please just let me have my honeymoon. And he said, and then those same people are in my office uh, about three years later for marriage counseling, and they're saying, oh, Lord, please come back. Because oftentimes what we think is going to be great in life isn't all that great. Like, I think about this all the time with trips. Like, I get really excited about planning trips. I love going on vacation, but my favorite part about vacation is before vacation. Like, I love planning out what we're going to do. And you know what? At the end of those vacations, I'm always ready to come home. Because it was so special. It was awesome. But it's never all that it's cut up to be. And see, what, what, what we have when we think, you know, Jesus, I don't want you to come back, is we have a bad theology of thinking that it's going to be something that's not great. When in reality, look at how great Peter says it's going to be. This is why we ought to hasten the coming. We ought to want the coming to come. The coming to come. I don't even know if that makes sense grammarly. Verse 12. As you wait for the coming of the day of the Lord and hasten its coming, because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat, which is what we already said. All the bad stuff is going to be gone. But based on his promise, we wait for New heavens. And that word new, there's two words that they use new in the Bible. One is new, like brand new, like a child. It's often used for young. And the other one is new, like fresh. It's been refreshed. That's the word we see here. New as in fresh. We wait for fresh heavens, a fresh spiritual world, and a fresh earth. And look at this, where righteousness dwells, where justice dwells. 
everything will be set to right. I mean, we ought to all want this. I, I made a list of just 10 things uh, that I think is going to be in the new heavens and in the new earth that I'm really excited about. Number one is I believe Chick-fil-A is going to be open on Sunday. <laughs> and I believe it's going to be in small towns like Woodward because we're not going to have to worry about profits. We're going to have Christian chicken in Woodward. That's what I believe. Uh, I, I believe that everybody's going to love dogs more than cats. Uh, I'm sorry. That might be offensive to some of you. I, I love you even though you love cats. You just can't bring them to heaven with you. Okay. And number three, I, I put this. I, I believe we're going to have pecan pie for breakfast every morning. And, and oh, think about this. This is going to be good. You know how all the grandmas have their, their different pecan pies and everybody has these great pecan pies? I believe we're going to get to try a different grandma's pecan pie every morning for breakfast. Oh, jeez, that sounds awesome. Diet Coke fountains. Uh, you know, just shooting Diet Coke everywhere. That's God's beverage of choice, I believe. I'm being a little facetious here, uh, but I, I want you to understand that it's really truly an embodied existence. And we're not floating around with chubby little angels playing our harps. No, we're, we're, we've got flesh and skin. We're on the ground. We can feel the beach on our feet. We can explore this world for the rest of eternity. And not just this world. This world is the fallen world. Can you imagine what the, the new world looks like? What the restored world looks like? And I can't wait. People say, I don't know how you could live for eternity. I'm like, you haven't really opened your eyes very much because there's so much I want to do. I could sail around the ocean. I could hike the Rockies. I, I, I can talk to people from different generations. Like I'll get to sit down with a guy who lived in the year 100 and ask him about what he did. And he'll get to ask me about 2021 and I'll say, let's just not talk about it. It was not a good time. <laughs> It'll be awesome. It'll be embodied. And justice will rule, which means on a serious note that there will be no more cancer. There will be no more death. The poor will be wealthy, the sick will be well, the sad will be glad, and the presence of Jesus will be everywhere. I don't care who you are, how old you are, or how young you are, this is good news. I want it to come as fast as possible, because it doesn't take away anything that is good from me, it only takes away those things that are bad from me. I think the longer we live, the more we see that to be true. So how do we actually hasten the coming of this kingdom? And I believe we hasten the coming of the kingdom by living what the kingdom says to do. As the church, as Jesus Christ's people, we ought to be so infatuated with Jesus, wanting to see this come so much that we begin to live for it now. I love what N.T. Wright says about this. People who believe in the resurrection, in God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at lust, at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. This is why Christians are the ones who start hospitals. This is why Christians are the ones who go across the world where nobody else will go and try to get clean drinking water to people. And this is why Christians, friends, go around the world spreading the news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Because he makes your life better now. And he makes your life better for eternity. So how do we actually live? Well, this is how we actually live in the kingdom. Everything we do, we do for the image of what God would have for us. For the image of the world God has. Here's another N.T. Wright quote. I'll close with this. Kelly, if you want to go ahead and come back up. N.T. Wright says, The point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. 
What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needing, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. No, they are a part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. So friends, as I close, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a minute to ask God what he's saying to you. I want to ask that same question I asked earlier, that really scary question. Of the activity you're doing now and of the person you are now, which of that is going to last when it's the Lord's day? When Jesus comes back and he gets what he wants and everything else is put into the fire and the dross is blown away from it. Is it going to be something that lasts? Or is it going to be something that is no longer in existence? This is the doctrine of the second coming. This is why it's important. It gives us perspective in our lives. It changes the way I view work. It changes the way I view relationships. It changes the way that I spend my money. Friends, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we, we pray as you tell us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, that it would be your will on earth as it is in heaven. God, it will never be that way until you come back, ultimately, and make everything right. But Lord, until then, you've left us here to push forward the kingdom and push back darkness. And God, as we reflect on our own lives, I pray that you would would lead us to know which parts of our life are the parts that will not last into eternity. Which are the parts that will be burnt away? And Lord, I pray that you'd give us a renewed focus on those things that actually matter. God, I pray that you give us the courage to obey what you've asked us to do. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.